0: Have you ever greeted someone and said, how are you? And they just respond saying, I'm good. It happens all the time. It is far too familiar of a greeting, right? People try to start conversations by saying, well, how are you? And the response that they get is almost always, I'm good. But unfortunately, there was actually a study done by Harvard University that says that this greeting is like the most ineffectual greeting that you can use. A journalist who wrote about the study that Harvard did says this, How are you are the three most useless words in the world of communication. The person responding doesn't tell the truth, and what follows is a lost opportunity and meaningless exchange with zero connection. It hurts a little bit because I know that I use this greeting all the time, but I don't want to have conversations with zero connection. So it's really rough. But I mean, let's be honest. When people ask us how we're doing, we usually just say, I'm good off the bat because it's habit, right? I know for me, uh, some of you might know cause I've shared before that I have an autoimmune disease that occasionally really just like zaps me of all of my energy and leaves me totally exhausted and makes it difficult to even do like some simple tasks. Uh, luckily, this doesn't affect me as often as it used to, but some days are still really, really hard. And it is like the worst on those days when I like go to the refrigerator To get milk out for my son to put him to bed because he's still at that age that he needs milk before he goes to bed or else he will not sleep. And so I like look in the refrigerator and there's no milk. And so I have to like drag myself to the store and I'm like, have zero energy. So I really, really don't want to be there. I go and grab the milk that just feels like the heaviest thing ever at that point, And I finally get up to the front to hand it to the person to pay. And they're like, Oh, how are you doing today? And I'm just like, I'm good. And I just catch myself and I go, Kaylin, why did you just say that you're good? Like you do not wanna be at the store buying milk right now. You do not feel well. All you wanna be doing is laying down in bed and going to sleep. Why did you respond that way? But this kind of thing happens all the time in our interactions with people. We want people to think that we are actually doing good. And I mean, that can be for a variety of reasons. Maybe we just like don't really know the person very well who asked us how we're doing. Or we just like don't want to air dirty laundry all over the place in front of everyone. We just want to like buy our milk and leave, right? (laughs) Whatever it is, whatever we're doing. But we do tend to hide what's actually going on in our life. We put on this brave face and we want people to actually think, oh yeah, maybe they're just doing good, right? But today I wanna talk to you about something kind of important. Did you know that God does not actually want you to just be doing good all the time? He actually intends for us to have sorrow what? (laughs) It's crazy to think about, but there is a Bible verse that actually says, you became sorrowful as God intended. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, if you've been watching online or listening to the podcast or whatever, and you've heard Pastor Tim talk about these three things that we believe about Jesus, that Jesus is here with us, that Jesus is good, and Jesus is Is Lord and if we believe these things and why do we think that a good God want us to have sorrow right it's it sounds confusing it sounds contradictory would God really want somebody to ask me how I'm doing and for me to respond saying oh I'm just so full of sorrow the answer is yes (laughs) God does want me to have sorrow. And it's so weird to hear myself even say that out loud because, as Christian, as followers of Jesus, so many people around me will like give me encouragement and just say, Oh, God just wants you to be happy. He just wants to fill you with joy and peace so you don't have to have sorrow, right? Do those things sound familiar to you? Because they definitely sound familiar to me. I hear that all the time. And there is truth to that. God does want me to have joy in his presence. And he wants me to have peace as I trust in him, right? It's true. But God does want me to have sorrow as well. And there is a very good reason for that. We're going to take a look at this part of scripture in 2 Corinthians 7. And it's right after this verse that says, you became sorrowful as God intended. And this is what it says after that. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Right away, we see the contrast between the kind of sorrow that God wants us to have and the kind of sorrow that we often feel in this world. Godly sorrow leads us to repentance. And so from that, we can see that we should have godly sorrow in our lives in response to our sin. Right? If godly sorrow leads us to repentance, it's because we're feeling this godly sorrow because of the sin that is in our lives. God isn't just wanting us to walk around in sorrow all the time and just be sad. No, there's a purpose behind this sorrow that God wants to have at work in our lives. And the purpose is that we would be led to repentance, that we would have no regret over the things that we've done, because we've repented of it, and we've turned toward God. But the opposite is worldly sorrow. And worldly sorrow makes us feel shame and regret about the things that we've done. And it's a feeling of condemnation instead of the feeling of conviction that we get from the Holy Spirit. And the conviction is really what leads us to repentance. Godly sorrow makes us feel conviction for our sin and makes us want to turn away from our sin and turn toward God. But worldly sorrow makes us feel sorry for the consequences of our sin more than actually being repentant and desiring to turn away from our sin. There's actually an example in the Bible of a man who felt worldly sorrow. So we're going to take a look at, at what, this, what this looks like if we only have worldly sorrow at work in our life. In the book of Exodus, way back in the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, were being held as slaves in Egypt. And God didn't want His people to be slaves anymore, and so He sent a man named Moses, And he said, Moses, you are going to go and talk to the Egyptian pharaoh and you are going to ask him to let my people go so that they can go and worship me. But he sent Moses with a warning. He said, if pharaoh decides not to let my people go, you need to tell pharaoh that I'm going to send plagues against the Egyptian people. And at the point in the story where we see that pharaoh exhibits God or sorry worldly sorrow When Pharaoh exhibits worldly sorrow at this point God had already sent six different plagues on the Egyptian people He had turned a river into blood He had sent frogs and gnats and flies Just like all over the land. He had infected the people with boils right? And it was all because Pharaoh refused to obey God and refused to let the Israelites go. But then God sent a seventh plague. And this plague was a huge storm with thunder and hail. And Moses warned Pharaoh and said that this hail is going to be so devastating that it's going to destroy everything that it touches, right? Your crops and your fields are just going to be destroyed. If there's any animals or people outside, they will be killed because this hail is just so heavy and so devastating. But still, Pharaoh decided that he was not going to listen to God and that he wasn't going to release the people. And so God sent this hailstorm. And everything was devastated and destroyed, just as Moses had warned him. And after the hail had come, it says that Pharaoh quickly brought Moses to him. And Pharaoh said, Moses, this time I have sinned. The Lord is the righteous one, and my people and I are wrong." Please beg the Lord to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We've had enough. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. And so Moses said, okay. He said he's going to let the people go. So he left and he went and prayed to God. And God immediately caused the storm to stop. But what did Pharaoh do? When Pharaoh saw that the rain, hail, and thunder had stopped, he and his officials sinned again. And Pharaoh again became stubborn. Because his heart was hard, Pharaoh refused to let the people leave. In this story, we see that Pharaoh really only had worldly sorrow because he was sorry about the damage that the hail had caused because he had sinned against God, but he wasn't repentant of his sin and wanting to like not sin anymore. He was only sorry because all of this havoc was, <laughs> was taking place in the land, right? He wasn't actually like, okay, God, I want to turn toward you. I want to be obedient to you. No. He just had worldly sorrow that made him feel bad about the consequences of his sin. So what we can understand about the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow is that worldly sorrow expresses grief over the outcome of our sin. But godly sorrow expresses grief over the root issue of our sin right? The difference between grief over the outcome and grief over the root issue of what's really going on in our lives. So let's take a look at some real world examples that we might face today where we might be like kind of drawn to just having this worldly sorrow and not having godly sorrow. So one example might be like a little kid who is like looking around the house and they see this cookie jar up on the counter, right? And they're like, oh, nobody's around. So I'm gonna go grab a cookie, even though I know I'm not supposed to have one, but then they get caught and their parents are like, hey, you're not supposed to be having cookies right now. You're gonna go to timeout and you're gonna sit in your room until I come and get you. And the kid's response is usually, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did that. I'll never do it again. Please forgive me. Please, please, please. Right? And they will just like repent over and over and over again and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I have an almost two-year-old. I know kind of what this looks like. But as soon as the child is released from their timeout they kind of like looking around again and they're like, oh, I still know that cookie jar is over there. And as soon as somebody's not looking, oh, they go and try to yank another one, right? And this might seem like a very simple example and maybe even kind of silly, but I think that it really depicts how we feel about our sins sometimes, right? We ahead and do the things that we want to do and then when we're caught and we have to face the consequence of that we're like oh I'm so sorry I did that but then when we have the chance we go and do the same thing over and over again and we're not actually experiencing godly sorrow that would have us turn from our sin and turn toward God another example might be people with hangovers right a lot of people with hangovers they will feel sorrow for drinking so much the night before. And they're like, oh, I feel terrible. Why did I do that to myself? I never want to feel this way again. But the next time a weekend rolls around, the next time they have a party they're invited to, they drink just the same amount again, right? They felt bad for the consequence of drinking when they had a hangover, but they didn't actually want to stop drinking. Another example is that as Christians, we know that God requires for us to live in purity. But when we are alone with our boyfriend or girlfriend or with a computer, all of those things can go out the window. And we do what we wanna do in our flesh. And we might feel shame and regret for the things that we've done. Or we might end up with an STD or an unwanted pregnancy, right? But (laughs) we just continue to do these things over and over and over again, every time we're alone with our significant other or with a device, right? I mean, in our world, STDs are so prevalent, not because people like don't know that they have STDs, it's because they don't want to stop doing the action that spreads. The STDs. We know that God requires for us to live in purity and so we maybe will feel regret for things that we've done, but we don't actually want to stop doing what we're doing. Or how about the sin of gluttony, right? We know that God has given us our bodies and we want to be healthy at the best of our ability Um, But then we allow ourselves to overindulge in foods that we know aren't good for us. And when we have the chance, we decide to lay down on the couch and binge watch Netflix instead of going on a walk, right? And we might feel badly about the extra pounds we're gaining. But the next time we have the opportunity, we just lay down on our couch with a gallon of ice cream again. We don't actually want to stop doing the things that we want to do. We just feel badly about the consequences of it. This is all just the feeling of worldly sorrow. We feel bad about the consequence of our actions, but we don't actually want to stop sinning. But the thing is, is that if we only allow worldly sorrow in our lives and we don't allow for the work of the Holy Spirit to bring about godly sorrow, what will the outcome be? The outcome is that we will become tolerant of our sin and tolerant to the outcomes of our sin. It just becomes our normal. We begin to have the expectation that hell and Satan is just gonna jerk us around and we are going to constantly be in this cycle of giving into temptation, falling into sin, feeling bad for a little while, but then we get the chance again, we just do it all over again. We fall into temptation, give into sin, feel bad for a little while, and then do it all over again. It's this cycle of sin that we get caught in when we only feel worldly sorrow. But I don't want that for you. I know that God does not want that for you. And I pray that you don't want that for yourself either. We don't want to have hard hearts like Pharaoh. We want our hearts to be softened before the Lord and feeling real repentance at work in our lives because of the godly sorrow that will lead us to confession and to repentance because we really want to say no to our sin and to turn toward God. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and to bring about this godly sorrow that will bring us to repentance and allow us to become free from this cycle of sin that the devil wants to keep us stuck in. So as we continue to look at the scriptures, when we were talking about these verses in 2 Corinthians 7 that lay out the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. It begins to talk about seven different characteristics that are produced inside of us if we allow godly sorrow to be at work in us. So I'm gonna read this verse to you that lays out all seven of the different characteristics, and then we're gonna unpack just a few of them. So it's 2 Corinthians 7 verse 11 it says this, see what godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what zeal, what readiness to see justice done. Now each of these seven things, Speaks of and refers to taking your sin so seriously and recognizing that when you participate in those sins, you are ultimately sinning against God. And you don't take that lightly. You are passionate about running to Jesus to receive forgiveness, even if that also means receiving correction and discipline. From God. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's interesting that this this word, sorry, that they use uh, from the original Greek. The word that they use for painful when it describes how discipline is painful is the same Greek word that they use in 2 Corinthians 7 when they're talking about godly sorrow. And What this means is that discipline, even though it is painful, produces repentance in us. And we will have a harvest of righteousness and peace if we allow ourselves to be trained by this discipline. And I just think this is so cool because no one wants to face the consequences of the things that they've done. Nobody wants to have discipline. But when godly sorrow is at work in us, there is so much benefit that comes from discipline. And remember that Our God is a good God, and he doesn't want to hurt us, but he wants to set us free from this cycle of sin that we're in. And we know that Jesus already paid the ultimate price for our sin when he went and died on the cross. So we know that we do not have to pay that ultimate price. And we can rest assured that the discipline we do receive from God will only be for our good and for our benefit. And if we know all of these things, let's just look at two of these characteristics that should be at work in our lives, that should be produced in our lives because of godly sorrow. The first one is that godly sorrow produces indignation. So what does that mean? Indignation is like having a righteous anger build up inside of you toward your sin. You know that Jesus went to the cross and died because of your sin. And so you get mad at yourself and just that you like allowed yourself to sin that way and to hurt God that way. And you get mad and just, ticked at the devil for trying to keep you stuck in this cycle of your sin because it's okay to get mad at your sin it's okay to get mad at the devil because it's not just like a self-loathing and like self-pity like oh i'm so terrible why did i let myself do that no it's getting mad at the devil getting mad at your sin And saying, this is so ugly and I don't want to have any part of this anymore. Jesus paid the price for that sin on the cross. I don't want to be doing the things that are what put Jesus up on that cross. And so you just get mad at the devil for trying to keep you stuck right where you are in this cycle of sin. There's a quote by a well-known British evangelist and pastor and author. And his name is Alan Redpath. And he said, I am glad that the Bible allows me to get mad, mad with the devil, to think that he had the audacity to pull me down and make me do that. What indignation, what fury at sin and all the agencies of Satan. That is what holy, righteous anger looks like when we can just get mad at the devil for keeping us stuck in our sin, for keeping those that we love stuck in their sin, right, we can just get angry and say, no, devil, we don't want any part of what you're trying to do. We want to turn toward God and be free of this sin. So the next thing that godly sorrow produces in us is alarm. And this alarm is referring to like, the fear that we have that we like might fall into sin again, or like this concern that we have for our weakness that allowed us to sin that way in the first place. But also when we have godly sorrow working inside of us, it's like an alarm gets set in our spirit. And so every time we get close to sinning again, this alarm goes off. Hey, 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 what are you doing? And it reminds us that we don't want to go back to that place again. We don't want to do those things again. And really that's the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's this alarm, warning, warning, warning. You don't want to do that because the Holy Spirit wants to protect us and to keep us out of this cycle. But the thing is, is that if we only have worldly sorrow in our lives, We might sense this like alarm going off when we know that we're about to do something that we probably shouldn't do. But if all we have is worldly sorrow, most of the time we just like quickly hit the snooze button and we silence that alarm. We silence the voice of the Holy Spirit that tries to keep us from doing the things that we know that we're not supposed to do that tries to remind us that we want to be obedient to God. If we silence that alarm in our lives, it will only cause us pain. So to close, I just wanna share with you a story of a man from the Bible who sinned and messed up really, really bad. But when that alarm went off in his spirit, He didn't turn it off. And he received the correction from the Lord, and it allowed him to prosper in his life. And this is the story of King David. David was a man who was chosen by God to be the king of his people. And if you remember any stories about David, you probably have heard of like David and Goliath, right? He was just this young kid. At this point of this of his life and there was this giant that was like taunting all of his people and the giant Goliath was like nobody can kill me and David was like I believe in the power of God so I'm gonna go out there and we know from that story is that David killed Goliath because God was with him and so we know that David knew God and he loved God And from a recent message from Pastor Tim, you might remember him talking about how our belief about God directly impacts our behavior. And King David believed in God, but then he acted outside of that belief and it caused some real brokenness in his story. So one day when David should have been out at war, with his people. They had been in many battles at that time and David should have been as king. He should have been out at war. But one day he decided to stay home in his palace and it says that he took a nap. (laughs) When he woke up from that nap, he was like, I think I'm just going to go to the roof. And so he walked up to the roof of his palace. And from there he was looking around at the city and he saw a beautiful woman taking a bath and her name was Bathsheba. And David found out that Bathsheba's husband was in the army and was fighting in the battle. And so he sent some people to Bathsheba and said, Hey, I know your husband's gone. Why don't you come and hang out with the king? And so Bathsheba was forced into going to the palace and uh, David ended up sleeping with her. And he knew God. He knew what was right and what was wrong. And he knew that that was not the right thing to do. But he ended up finding out sometime later that Bathsheba became pregnant. And because of that, he created this elaborate plan so that Bathsheba's husband would be killed in battle so that Bathsheba could then become his wife and he could bring her into the palace to live with him. So David, this man who knew God and loved God, was now an adulterer, And a murderer and the Bible says that God was displeased with him. So God sent a prophet a man named Nathan to show David just how wrong he had been and how much he had grieved God. And in those days it was not uncommon for a prophet to come to the king and if the king did not like what the prophet had to share he would just say off with your head and he just killed a prophet if he was trying to say something to the king that the king didn't want to hear right but David did not do that he listened to what Nathan was saying and took it as this warning from God this alarm that was going off in his spirit and David was so was sensitive sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit And to this alarm that was going off inside of him that he confessed to Nathan. And he said, I have sinned against God in what I have done. And he submitted himself to the discipline of God. He had to face some consequences because of the things that he had done. But then he allowed this godly sorrow to be at work in his life that brought him to repentance and kept him... From committing those same sins again. And David was even so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he actually wrote a psalm that perfectly describes this godly sorrow that he was feeling. So as I'm closing today I'd love it if we could read some parts of this psalm and if you would just even like close your eyes wherever you are. Or just focus on these words and let these words wash over you and become your own prayer to God. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins wash me clean from my guilt purify me from my sin for i recognize my rebellion it haunts me day and night against you and you alone have i sinned i have done what is evil in your sight purify me from my sins and i will be clean wash me and i will be whiter than snow Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. if today you're hearing those things, you're hearing this heart of a man who had sinned against God and recognized that he was a broken man. And he wanted so badly to be cleaned from his sin, to be purified, and to become in relationship with God once again. And if you are responding to that and just recognizing like, that's how I'm feeling. That's where I'm at right now. I've been doing something that I know is not right. And I don't want to do that anymore. I so want to be clean, to be purified by God. Then I'm just going to pray for us. And if you want to take this next step and to really repent, I encourage you to go and find somebody trusted who you can repent to and then you would have the accountability of knowing like, hey, I repented of this and I don't want to do this again. And if you want to talk to one of our pastors, we would love to meet with one of you. Or if you just want to go on to our website at sm4.org and go to our contact page You can send us a message and just say, I need prayer about this. I want to repent of what I'm doing. And we will be in prayer for you. Because this is a really serious thing. All of us know the sin that we have in our own lives. Whether that's lying, stealing, drinking, drugs, being impure, whatever it is. We know what it is in our own lives, and we know that the devil just wants to keep us stuck doing the same thing over and over and over again, and the devil wants to cause pain in our lives, but God wants to give you godly sorrow so that you would be drawn to repentance, so that you would be free from your sin and that you could be in relationship with God, free from this sin and this ugliness that has been in your life. That's what God wants for you. So as we close today, I'd love to pray for you. Lord Jesus, you know us You know all of the things that keep us caught in our sin. And Lord Jesus, today we want to turn toward you. We want to say no to our sin and to all of the plans that the devil would have for us. And we want to say yes to repentance. Yes to being in relationship with you. Yes, to being purified and washed clean of our sin. So God, today we just come to you humbly and say we know where we've gotten it wrong. We're sorry for the way that we have grieved you, God, because of our sin. Lord, would you take this confession Would you take this repentant heart, Lord God, and would you wash it all clean so that we can be free from this cycle of sin that we have been stuck in, so that we can live in right relationship with you, Jesus. From this moment forward, we just pray that chains would be broken where the enemy has tried to keep us bound up Let those chains fall off in Jesus' name. Do what only you can do in our lives, Lord God. Through the Holy Spirit, bring conviction, bring this godly sorrow so that we would turn to you. I thank you, God, for what you are doing in each one of our lives. We thank you, God, for who you are. You are a good God. So we come to you and we submit to you as our Lord and our Savior and say, we are broken. We need your help. We need to be washed clean by your blood, Jesus. We thank you, God. We thank you that when we come to you, you so quickly have forgiveness for us, have so much grace, so much mercy, your arms are just wide open for us once again to just come home, to not be held back by our sin any longer. We're so grateful, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, you are loved. Please reach out to one of our pastors. Come and talk to us if at church if you're able to visit. We love you, and I just want to encourage you with this. The next time somebody asks you, "How are you doing?" Maybe you'll respond, "I'm good," just because it's habit, right? But let that be a check in your own spirit about am I allowing God to work this godly sorrow in my life in the way that I need to right now? So, next time somebody asks you, "How are you doing?" Just let that be a check for yourself in your own spirit. Say, what do I need to have godly sorrow over right now? And let me just bring that before God. Repent of what I've been going through, what I've been doing, and turn toward Him. Church, you're loved. We'll see you soon.